I'm Megan. I'm Tegan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hey, Tegan. Hi, Megan. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited about this episode. Last time I said, I think at the very end of the podcast, that there's something in it for you and there's something in it for me. And I think it's very obvious what is for you. Oh, holy yeah. I mean, the the magic, right? The magic. So you have asked earlier, <laughs> many episodes back in our recording process, would we get deeper into Michael's magic? <laughs> I was like, yes, we will. And yes, now we have. So I, I want to get, I, I really want to get right into it. I do have a revision of regret though. Okay, go for it. Last time in the episode, I called Roy Dwight and I called Oscar Roy. And I hope listeners just kind of roll with it when they're like, she's obviously off. Um, I think the most offensive one was probably when I called Oscar Roy. I I do not remember this. I didn't catch it at all. And I, I, I didn't catch it when I was saying it. Yeah. Yeah. So so anyway, just I'm just recognizing that Oscar is not Roy and Roy is not Dwight. And these are very different people. But that's all that's all I got this time. What have you got for us? You got any accounting to do? Uh, I thought that I had things I thought I remembered, but I forgot. However, I do have a sort of adjacent accounting, which is within the episode, you were worried because you used the name Tyler at one or two points, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, no big deal. Don't worry about it, whatever. Um, Today, I was meeting a new person in my department, and I was like, oh, hi, my name's Tyler. Wait, no, it's Tegan. <laughs> and so, and she was like, um, so it's Tegan? And I was like, yes, that's my name. And then I immediately texted Janet. I was like, I forgot my own name. <laughs> and she was like, I think that's going to happen. It's still early. And I was like, right, yeah. right. Uh, so officially like everybody else at work has been better at remembering my own name than me uh so anyway you and no one else should feel bad because if i can't even remember it sometimes well that's a a very gracious story to share i will say one thing this made me think of and maybe i might have subconsciously pulled a michael scott which is something that comes later i don't even know what season this is but basically he has said something that he should not have said um like he's accidentally spread this private information that he shouldn't have and so what he does to deal with it is spread a whole bunch more rumors like uh, he says a lot more things in order to cover up the thing that he said that was wrong so actually i thought about this and i was like did i subconsciously call you tyler instead of tegan and then like on some subliminal level, I was like calling Roy Dwight and calling Oscar Roy so that I could come back and be like, I'm just mixing up all the names. It's all equal. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. You really are Michael Scott in many ways. I think we both are. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. No, this episode brought home. A, there are a few in my notes I have um, coded them. And so there is like things you know random tangents I want to ask you about then there's like things questions about like canon in the episode um (laughs) but then always are like oh here are moments where I just like related to Michael Scott (laughs) and uh anyway so there will there will be a few of those we have no oh go ahead 
Your relatability to Michael Scott is maybe the most surprising plot twist of this podcast. Well, it might be like why I really didn't like it. Yes, <laughs> wow, it's like too close to home. Too close, you know, the return yeah. of the repressed. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, oh, I was just going to say that we have no emails. Um, do we have any messages on Instagram? <laughs> well, I haven't been posting. No. Does anybody what? listen anymore? You look at the viewer or the listener counts. Do we even have listeners at this point? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I haven't looked at that in a couple weeks either. <laughs> This is just for us then. You know what? Uh, um, but it is largely for us. <laughs> well, if anybody, if anybody's listening and would like to email us, you can message us at the best office hours podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and we're here for all your queries, questions, ideas, comments, critiques, uh, suggestions for new uh, you know, whatever, um bits, etc. I did we'll say I did listen to the the last one and I had the thought I've occasionally had this experience of listening to a podcast where the hosts just start like laughing with each other so much that it's kind of off track. And I'm like, okay, this isn't so interesting anymore. And I thought listening to the last one, are we just enjoying each other too much? And so that no one else is enjoying it. But to me, it's delightful. I sure hope not. Uh, but I will say occasionally after the podcast, you know, we'll listen to it. And this is a little treat for the listeners, but we will listen to it and text each other like, you know what? This is really good. Like, this is really funny. Like, you know what? This is a good podcast. Like, people should listen to this. So, um, and I don't feel confidence about most or anything in my life, but I feel mm -hmm. confidence about the podcast. I'm like, no, this is funny. But this I did worry that we got too far down the rabbit hole. Like, the we, I think we felt we, we flew too close to the sun on the office supplies. I, I think that it was pushing our listeners patience perhaps uh i don't know that's my but that's just projection who can say yeah who can say <laughs> well shall i give us the summary yes this is episode 18 of season three called cocktails michael and jan go public with their relationship pam makes a confession to roy at an office happy hour antique is Oh. Most important of all, we begin with magic, and that is where we must begin today. Um, what are your first impressions? Well, so first of all, also, I did receive a message from someone who is like, I'm not even watching the show anymore, but I am just listening to the podcast. And I'm like, what is that like to not? This is somebody who hasn't watched it before either. Oh, so my God. This is interesting. Um, but so for context. For people who also people just who haven't maybe watched it a million times and watched it three times in the last two days. This is the one where Michael in the opening is Michael. He calls himself Michael the Magic. He has a straight jacket and he has Dwight latching him in and tying a big chain around him. And he is about to perform a magic trick to get himself out of this suit. Tegan. Take us away. What are your impressions of this moment for Michael? Uh, I have so much to say, but one thing I, I'm just going to start with a quick anecdote. And I actually, in fact, mentioned this to my class today. Um, but, uh, you know, my partner, Jen, who I've talked about, you know, sometimes on the pod, who also made the music uh, for for the podcast. Anyway, she's the most accepting, loving, wonderful partner one could ever ask. 
And when I'm like, you know, I'm afraid that I might be trans, she's like, that's great. I'm here for it. Awesome. However, during COVID, there was a moment when I said, you know, um, you know, you remember how everybody was like, oh, I'm going to learn sourdough or I'm going to like, you know, <laughs> oh, no. try, try uh, yoga for the first time or whatever it was. Um, some people learn like sea shanties or whatever. Well, I, Jen was like, why do you have a pack of cards like oh. on the dining room table? And I said, oh yeah, I meant to tell you, I've been, I'm, I think I'm going to try to learn magic. And like, this was like, just to see the, the shadow <laughs> across her face, like it was easier to tell her that I was trans than it was that I was interested in learning magic. And she was like, I, I, I support you if this is what you want to do, you know, but like, it really seemed to test, to test her, uh, attraction to me and um and i will say that after about a week i gave up but not because of that just because it was harder than i thought it was so i got a lot of sympathy for michael <laughs> scott uh because magic wow. is tough I, I never went to a magic camp for kids but um but you wanted to i really wanted to i wanted a magic kit when i was a kid anyway okay so yeah you need to be careful you need to be careful not to come out as a magician <laughs> Let me How other times can I come out? <laughs> don't just don't make that. Don't put that in the list. Well, so oh, let me ahead. read into the record what Michael says in his interview about this. A lot of people think that magic camp is just for kids. And that's why so many other people in my class were kids. Self-fulfilling prophecy. It's um, it's really for anybody with a dream and a belief in magic and a little extra time after school. Okay, I'm going to make the case that this is one of the best cold opens that we've yet seen. I accept. I accept this this case. Please go ahead and make it in detail. I think it's it's beautifully self-contained. So it's just like a great, you know, there are layers to it. I love that we start out with kind of getting him strapped in, then, you know, the interview here and the jokes about magic camp. And it brings back memories of like his improv for example, yeah. and um, just, uh, you know, his his interest in comedy. He wants to be a performer. So character-wise, it makes so much sense. Um, then we have the actual performance. Then we have Jim and Pam kind of fucking with him. And then the follow-up, the payoff, where he's still in the straitjacket and his hair is all tussled, you know, so and good. says separately on an unrelated <laughs> note, if you happen to find a small brass key, it's I just it's like what I love in a cold open is like it's funny on its own terms. It stands on its own, but it can't be too short and it can't be too long. And I thought this was like the perfect length. And I like that it reveals some character, but also it's just hilarious. Like the way he comes up from Pam's desk and says magic, 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 you know, <laughs> he's a performer. He's a real performer. This is what I want to know from you. Where I feel like we can really draw on your knowledge. How does this straight jacket trick fit into the wider world of magic? So that's question A. How does the straight jacket fit into the wider world of magic? And B, what does this teach us about the kind of magician that Michael is? Because this feels like a really specific category. If this is making me realize that there are separate tracks within the magic world. Yeah, uh, okay. You know what? This is the most embarrassing. Nobody can ever listen to this <laughs> But I did discover that like, like, like close up magic, like, cause I, I was always like card tricks and 
coin tricks. Like it's the most boring, basic shit. But apparently it's like the most among the most respected because it's the hardest to do really, really well. And it's like the backbone of magic. And it's that close up. Like if people are looking right at your hands and, you know, so that's like really respected. Whereas anything with like props is totally not respected or things like, I think to some degree, this kind of thing. And I can't remember what it's called, but like people that get buried alive or, you know, these kind of like more endurance kind of tricks Hmm. or Mm -hmm. apparent tricks are, I think like a lower tier. And however they work for me, I am a fan of all (laughs) the magical arts, uh, you know? And um, so but I don't know what we would call this, but either way, it's so funny that he's got the key like in his mouth. And I was like, what was, what was the plant? Was he going to keep it in his teeth and then unlock it with That's his mouth? Too. How did he think he was going to achieve this? Even, I mean, with the key, I don't think he was any more likely to get it than without. But it does teach us that he is, he, um, overestimates his capabilities he does he does i felt like that actually was maybe brings us to a potential connection i want to hear what you do you think about this because you come up with good connections between cold open and the episode but i wondered if a connection was michael feeling trapped after being overconfident so going into something with exuberance whether it is a magic trick or his relationship with jan and coming out publicly that they're a couple and he is so confident and positive about both of these things and ends up feeling trapped and it's embarrassing. And I don't know. That's great. Oh my God. Damn. So Jan is the straight jacket. Jan is the straight jacket. Ooh. Yeah. But in an ironic way, right? Cause like he wanted, he wanted to be locked up with her. Yeah. Yeah, just like with this stupid actual straitjacket that he is putting himself into it. I guess having Dwight put him in. Um, uh, I wonder if we can. Yeah, did you think of? Did you have connections between like how this sets up the episode? I didn't, and I think it was because I was just so in love. You know, I was mm-hmm. just so all in on the magic or whatever. So I'm gonna have to. I'm so glad you came through on that because I, I had nothing. Um, but I did have. Um, I, I love, uh, what was it? The um, Michael the Magic will attempt to escape from extreme bondage. <laughs> Just amazing. You know, the, the the he doesn't quite get the euphemism, but Kevin sure does. <laughs> I didn't even notice Kevin having a reaction to that. I got to go back and watch for it. So, okay, but I did wonder. So Dwight says, I know how. Dislocate his shoulder and slip his arm out from underneath. And Michael says, no, no. Do you think that was what the plan was or was Dwight like imagining a different, you know, a more accomplished? I do not think that was the plan. I think Dwight was imagining a different magician, but Dwight might've had the way to actually do it. And I guess it connects to your, your point about the kind of magic that depends on endurance or like weird physical feats Mm -hmm. and I guess that would make sense as a way to do it. Can I ask you, is there, have you ever seen a magic trick that blew you away? Also, did you ever watch the magic show that I begged you to watch? I I watched like the first few minutes. And I, I just, know. 
I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I, I, I will. I, I will do it for you. I will get there. But how many seasons of this show have I watched for you? It has turned into not being just for me, but for both of us. I know that was unfair. You know, I'm going to revise and regret that. That was, cruel. That, was <laughs> that was not okay on my part. You know what? I revise and regret. Every revise time. and regret that right away. Um, <laughs> but I, not so much. But I have seen a magic magic tricks and actually one of the most impressive was a guy who right in front of me and in front of a group was doing card tricks and the sort of thing where it ends up in somebody's pocket it is mind-blowing I think so it was very fun and very fascinating and totally mind-blowing yeah so so I believe that magic can be powerful uh, there, my, if I can just quickly say my favorite magic trick that I've ever seen, um, it's uh, I went to see Penn and Teller perform. Um, Penn and Teller, yeah, know your audience. I what do you not, say? I said know your audience. I do not know this name. Um, so they were, I guess they were kind of big in the eighties, maybe in the nineties. And they're a troupe. It's multiple people. It's two people, and the kind of shtick, especially er- earlier, was that. I can't remember who. I think it's Penn is he was kind of a larger guy. Teller was kind of a skinnier guy. Penn was very verbose and you know kind of erudite and like whatever uh I don't know, you know, chatty and Teller never spoke. Like said nothing. And 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 so that and then they did a lot of kind of death defying stuff or whatever. Uh um anyway, and uh, there's there's more to say there but just i went to go see them um perform live and i think it it was just teller on stage so the silent guy and he but they told us or pen gives like a narration of the trick and it's like a very old trick and they told us exactly what it was what the trick is which is basically like it's a balloon tied to his finger on an invisible string and then like so the what's interesting is they tell you how the trick is done Mm-hmm. Um, but then he does all these incredible things with this balloon that seem truly impossible. Mm-hmm. And your mind is sort of like, but it can't be just like tied to his finger or something like that or whatever. And mm-hmm. there's a really great NPR like interview about it and how long it took years and years and years and years to practice, but it's very elegant and it's very beautiful and it's very, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, there's a sweetness to it. Um, but anyway, what I love about it is the kind of like, I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm doing and then you're not going to believe it. And mm. then, you know, you know, this, that, I don't know. I think that that's kind of interesting in magic, but oh God. Yeah, that is. Is it though, uh, you know. Listen to that NPR interview. Yeah, I'll send you that. I'll send you that. Um, but, but Michael's, you know, um, I just love the picture of him at like an after-school magic camp for kids like can you imagine uh, the parents can you imagine the teacher it's a beautiful beautiful image it i i absolutely love it michael really is good about doing extracurricular activities it's it's fantastic um the other other small note on this scene that i noticed that i enjoyed is that when he's writhing around in the floor, you can see sweat stains that are coming through the straitjacket. I, I just thought that was a nice detail because he is really physically struggling. And it is really funny. Great physical right. comedy moment again. And he 
kind of tips over onto the chair and then like lifts up the little table with his legs and then he's on the floor in front of Pam's desk and spinning around and then he's in his own desk it just <laughs> it's yeah closing the blinds is so funny so funny he does it with his feet right yeah 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 unbelievable and also that he's paused work for them to watch this <laughs> oh he just wants an audience so bad he wants, he just wants an audience Oh, don't make me sympathize with him. Um, well, <laughs> where do we go from here? Well, let's so maybe just go him. right to the next scene. So basically is prepping kind of to go to uh, David Wallace's house, right? Yeah. So that's the big, the, the let's call it the A plot, I guess, is um, Dwight and Michael go to david wallace's party so do jim and karen and jan and the, mm -hmm. the the sort of twist on it is that um michael and jan are going to come out about their relationship by signing this form and disclosing it basically to to hr and to the company mm -hmm. um and so this begins with like i mean i did have questions about like okay it he michael says it's for the, all the managers of the company. So I was slightly confused why Jim goes. Is Jim? He's is, the assistant manager now. Okay, so not assistant to the manager. Okay, he's an assistant manager. But is that does that make you a manager? I guess. I guess so. I was I was kind of wondering about that too. I, I guess you're considered management level. And then is it that Karen gets to go because she's his date? It's so she's his plus one. It's funny, though, that I guess Dwight, as assistant to the regional manager, which is not a legitimate position, right. plus one, even though, you know, he's going to meet Jan, but he's he's still still bringing the plus one of Dwight. That was a yeah, I feel like there was a missed opportunity to make a good joke there, but they do touch on it just briefly in the car when when Dwight says, thanks for inviting me. And Michael's like, oh, sure. Really didn't get give it any thought. Wait, should you be going? Yeah, that was really funny. I love that. I don't know if you've ever like invited somebody to do a thing and then been like, oh, shit, I don't know if I was allowed to or something. <laughs> I, I thought that was that was good. But um, before they get in the car, I, I really like Michael trying to smell his own breath and then asking Pam to do it and then Dwight doing it. Um, and it just brought me back to a time that I do not miss, which is wearing a mask all the time and discovering my breath fucking sucks. And I feel so bad for people around me. I was like, oh, anyway, it brought me back to that. It brought me back to the other most painful moment for me in the office. And that's when Michael goes to look in Dwight's mouth about his oh. work, and he's like breathing out loudly with his open mouth. This is very, this is an upsetting, upsetting scene for me. But so I guess that's the part of the show that makes me cringe in a way that's like just too uncomfortable. The part that makes me cringe that I loved, or I guess that would make other people cringe more, but that I really like is when Jan calls and she tells Michael to go off speakerphone and he still has her on speakerphone. I think, I, I think that it's necessary to have a pretty strong speakerphone policy where you immediately tell people that they are on speakerphone. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree. You How just cannot, cannot let that happen. Here's my question though, about the car. 
what do you think is the setup of the cameras? Because there's no camera guy in there. Are they using GoPros? Were GoPros really available at this point? No. Is it fixed to the dashboard? I'd have to rewatch. There's a couple of them because it does it from a couple of different angles. So it's like, is there one on the dashboard? Is there one on kind of, you know, the the bar that's between the window and the door? That's a great question. I hadn't thought about that. I'm going to pay more attention to that. Um, but I did think it was interesting that she says, um, still on speaker are cameras there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is, we don't often get these references or acknowledgements of the camera. And I thought that was really interesting because I was like, oh, is she, the first time I watched it, I missed it. And I thought she was saying, is Dwight still there? Is he listening or something? And the second time I was like, oh, she's worried about what the cameras will think. Yeah. I think she's almost the person who recognizes that the most because there's a time when he's on she, he always has her on speakerphone a time when she's on speakerphone when he's in the office too and she asks are the cameras there and he says no at that point and I can't I can't remember exactly how it unfolds but yeah she definitely has a consciousness of it although I felt like she handled it very well she just kind of shut down the conversation quickly but didn't freak out i i thought she really maintained great calm yeah her performance is really funny and i i mean she's uh, what an actor like she's so i don't know this is a standout episode i think for her even though her yeah. character is becoming increasingly unhinged but mm -hmm. she says um she wants to blow the party off um that's what she said michael says um she wants to go to a motel and rip into each other like we did on that black sand beach in jamaica and perhaps you are wondering what a black sand beach is uh were you or were you not i bet you know it's like you did some research did you are you you're a connoisseur of black sand beaches aren't you i'm not i wish i had thought to look this up uh well black sand comes from eroded volcanic materials such as lava basil basalt rocks basalt and other dark colored rocks and minerals and is typically found on beaches near volcanic activity black sand beaches are common in hawaii the canary islands and the aleutians um i thought that was kind of fascinating uh i had never i didn't really know what it was so i was like oh what's what's this about um black sand beaches in jamaica well i googled to try to find one and it was i was not super clear on because it kind of sounds more pacific yeah Caribbean. yeah i but, wasn't clear on that yeah okay well so so we're not totally sure about the geographical accuracy but that might be beside the point well so do you have thoughts on jan's uh so narratively basically she is she's is she trying to get out of signing the contract and coming out or is she just is is she just kind of impulsive and horny and or a little bit of both. I was curious what you made of her kind of wanting to ditch. She is, this is interesting. I, I wondered too about what we're finding out about what her attraction to Michael is and what that's about. One of the sections I think that's really interesting is when, let me read it in. It's when uh, she arrives. So Michael has already been there. He has arrived early. <laughs> we could discuss that. He's arrived very, very early. Oh, we got yeah. this whole theory about arriving at parties early. But Michael goes out to the car, and Jan is digging around in the trunk. And Michael asks, "What are you looking for? You bring dip, Jan? I'm sure it's catered." 
Well, how Michael just does not have an awareness of this kind of party at this class level that you do not bring dip and you definitely don't bring potato salad in a Tupperware. Yeah. I need you to sign these, Michael. It's a waiver of some of your rights. You should read it carefully. It releases the company in the event that our relationship, in your opinion or in reality, interferes with work. You get a copy, I get a copy, and a third copy goes to HR. <laughs> this line, that our relationship, in your opinion or in reality, <laughs> I just love that as a qualifier because his opinion does not equal reality. Um and then when she describes this choice, she says, I'm taking a calculated risk. What's the upside? I overcome my nausea, fall deeply in love, babies, normalcy, no more self-loathing. Downside, I uh, date Michael Scott publicly and collapse in on myself like a dying star. Like, I don't know. What is she, what is she pursuing with him? I, I thought about this even the time when they are at the... They're standing by the fireplace talking to David Wallace and yes. he's inviting David to sandals and it's so inappropriate. And he starts talking about Jan limboing really low and she drags him away. Like she's mad at him, but then she tries to pull him. She tells him like, you know, stop, stop, stop. I can't, can't remember exactly what the line is, but then kind of pushes him against the wall and kisses him and then drags him into the, um, into the bathroom so is there something almost i don't know masochistic or something in it like she seems to the things that really really annoy her and when he's embarrassing her and stuff like that she then also gets really into it uh yeah well first okay uh i did feel like Michael was inappropriate earlier. I mean, in basically every interaction with David Wallace and yeah. what's his um, wife's name? Um, uh, Rachel. Rachel. Uh, you know, he's like, wow, you really clean up. Um, <laughs> White asks about the square footage. It's really funny because Michael's like, that's inappropriate. And then he's like, how much did the house cost? So yeah. I really did want to talk about class yeah. um, and what is and is not appropriate, you know, but also... Mm -hmm one of the ways that classes operates is that like you don't need to ask questions like that because you all know right like everybody's in on the same knowledge or whatever so it's not necessary to qualify it or whatever but in those interactions he is kind of inappropriate and similarly with when he says you know jan is my lover or something like that <laughs> am i bad to think that i didn't think it was super inappropriate at, at least initially he says like you and the missus should join us at sandals right mm -hmm. and she says oh, i'm sure he probably wants to spend christmas here with his family and he says oh yeah they don't allow kids at sandals they are persona non grata there <laughs> um but it's fun it's an awesome place you would not believe how low this girl can limbo and i guess there i mean i could see i totally see your point but i was like she seems this like this didn't her reaction seemed in excess of what he was saying in that moment unless maybe she's trying to stop him from where he's going to go next and so i just kept thinking about how she is utterly embarrassed by him anyway and that yeah. makes it seem so kind of cruel that she is as you said like masochistically using him yeah. to experiment or to self-destruct like it almost seems like she wants to 
Yeah. I don't know. She said, I guess when she came to his to the office a few episodes back to say she wanted to be with him, didn't she say something like her therapist said she should indulge for once her self-destructive tendencies? Yes. Yeah. I think it's a great point actually about it not exactly being inappropriate. What he's saying about sandals, because it's not that it's, what is it? It's not that it's inappropriate where there's a rule about it exactly. Like you don't ask about people's house. I think it's just that, and it's very sweet. I think what it is, is just socially unaware. Yes. Obviously David Wallace does not want to go to sandals with you. And so don't put him into that position. This is also where I wondered about what this means in terms of the marketing of sandals, because I do think it sort of suggests there's something about it that's not that because of its association with Michael, because it's not that high class. That's not to say that's accurate, accurate in terms of the price or anything like that, but that there's something perceived as maybe kind of tacky about it. It's Uh, not an appropriate place for the David Wallace's. There's a different, I don't know. He's got this sort of old money vibe, maybe, even though I, I don't know what his family's wealth history is, but I think that this, I think that they're, I think the advertising of sandals is mixed. I think that's a great point. I hadn't really registered that. And I do totally agree with you. I think I I read inappropriate, like too narrowly. This is, <laughs> you are right. It assumes a familiarity that is not, um, not Michael's to assume, right? Like you don't, I wouldn't go to the university president and sort of be like, hey, we should go on vacation or whatever. Oh my God, that's, <laughs> that's such a great comparison. <laughs> And think about that. But we do see the reverse. Michael or um, David Wallace can ask Jim to go shoot hoops, but Jim cannot ask David Wallace to go shoot hoops. Right. And if he does, it's a bold move and it's Mm -hmm. one that may pay off, but it is not. It's definitely like a kind of breaking of decorum. Yeah. Good. And so, you know, good for Michael for not following those barriers. I mean, he does not allow these unspoken social rules to constrain him. And that's risky. And that makes people dislike him. And at the same time, there is something beautiful about that. And it is the thing that enables him to take a kid's magic camp class. That's true. That those rules that really do constrain you socially and limit the kinds of bonds and the kinds of relationships that you can form. Like it kind of outlaws that possibility of closing that gap or of that friendship with David Wallace. And I don't know, maybe it's worth the risk of putting yourself out there. I might be feeling inspired by Michael's behavior. What is happening? I love this. I, a long time ago on the pod, I sort of floated the idea. I had a theory of why you uh, are drawn towards Michael Scott in the show. And I can't remember if I elaborated it, but it was it was nowhere near as articulate or coherent as what you just said. But it was along the lines of like, I do think you and I both share this kind of like, we have a certain level of anxiety <laughs> in general, but like social or maybe not. It's not just anxiety, but like social anxiety and social neuroses you know like a kind of hyper you know uh, 
self-reflexivity about how social interactions should go or are supposed to go in this. And I think that one thing that might, yeah, I think it's appealing to sort of see Michael Scott not understand or care about those and um, to flout them mm-hmm. and and nonetheless, you know, still have some sort of heart of gold or whatever, which is very much the I think we never really we don't really talk much about the British office, but that does feel like the defining difference. Like as far as I mean, it's been a long time since I watched it, but like he also has no concern for or no kind of social awareness, but it's not from coming from a good place or something like that. So it's kind of interesting that Michael Scott is being sweet. He is saying like, oh, we should hang out like he wants friends. Like, I love that. He's like, you should come to a party early because that's like a great way to make friends. Um, what does he say? Yeah. Uh, uh, it's actually, it's polite to arrive early and smart. Only really good friends show up early. Um, ergo de facto, <laughs> go to a party really early, become a really good friend. And oh, oh no. But I have to tell you, so one of, I have a few memories that will like keep me up at night. Uh-huh. I have quite a few, but one of them is that I'm in college and I got invited to a professor's like party, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, this is undergrad and it was, um, and I like misread, I misread the invitation, you know, and we didn't have, I didn't have like, we didn't have smartphones or whatever. So it's like, you know, I just read the email and I thought it said show up at like five, but it didn't say that it said show up at like six or six 30 or something. Yeah. So I showed up and it, it kills me because I remember them being like, Oh, you're here. And I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I brought wine or whatever. And she was like, well, come in, you know, and nobody was there. And I was like, they didn't say like, you're too early or something. And it just slowly dawned on me, like over the next 10 minutes or so, like, oh, fuck. Like, I'm not the first, like I'm way too early. And then there's like prepping the food and stuff. And I was like, oh, can I help? And like, they let me help. And it was so generous but i am mortified by this because i just wanted to be like oh actually i gotta go and anyway um so i really i felt for michael here um i am mortified for you that is heartbreaking i'm sorry oh god (laughs) but did it prove do you think that it ultimately built your relationship in a positive direction it did not uh (laughs) So, so I don't think that Michael's theory is, is correct. I wanted to try to figure out because I feel like there's some specific kind of logical fallacy in there where he says, you know, friends, only good friends show up early, therefore show up early, become a good friend. Like I couldn't put my finger on quite exactly what it was, but it's, it's like, ah, I don't know, an over... Like it over over generalizing from the example of who arrives early, or is it that one that's uh what is it post post hoc ergo propter hoc, you know, where it's like before you assume that before, therefore because of. So if you've seen that people have shown up early before a party and you see that there are friends you're assuming that they are friends because of the fact that they showed up early rather than those two things being unrelated or having been there before whatever um but i just thought i did i did appreciate the fact that he's got this really clear 
theory of it. And he's got a, what do you call that? Like an etiquette, a sense of etiquette rules and the reasoning behind them. And he's just, he's just totally off in his reasoning. God, I, you are the smartest person. Uh, oh my God. No, I'm not. You are really me about use compliments. Latin and, and, and logic. <laughs> my God. Failing. I'm not finding, I'm not finding what I want. If we've got any, any philosopher listeners out there who can really break this, break this down. Cause you know what I mean? He puts it into that format where it's like, if this, then this. Right. Right. No, I love that. I love that. Um, before uh, you, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I meant to kind of look into it more and really try to study it and figure it out, but I didn't. So I'm, I'm going short on that. I, I don't know, man. I think it's so smart. Um, but I, I just, I wanted to say a little bit more about Jan and, and maybe we could psychoanalyze her a little bit, but, um, it's just so goddamn funny. The writing when she says, uh, the the uh, the pros and the cons um mm, amazing so the, i just love you read it already but the the upside i overcome my nausea fall deeply in love babies normalcy no more self-loathing downside i uh date michael scott publicly and collapse in on myself <laughs> like a dying star holy <laughs> shit and then why is this so hard that's what she said <laughs> oh it's so so beautiful and it's interesting. It's interesting in this episode when we get the um, I, I, I'm always fascinated by this, like when we get a window into what they are being asked by the interviewer. So the interviewer yeah. says, why is this so hard? Also to Jim, it was like, why don't you want to go? And he's like, I didn't expect that I would need an answer to this. Um, yeah, yeah. But I just love. OK, so apparently she has nausea and self-loathing. Um, but the image of collapsing in on yourself like a dying star. I wish I had something smart to say. It's just great. I will say I think about that regularly. I think about myself collapsing in on myself like a dying star. <laughs> in I don't know, various situations, but I I like to channel Jan. That made me wonder. I hadn't I hadn't thought about the camera crew prompting her with the question, but I wonder if they were um like try it like kind of poking at her and seeing if she would do it that's what she said oh yeah did yeah. you want to be even wording yeah, it yeah, yeah oh i love that i love how she took it up and then doesn't she say oh my god what am i saying so reaction to it also one one more note on the while we're in this part she asks what's over the eye and michael says it's a heart <laughs> That was something I really liked. I liked the okay. So when he is signing the contract, he um basically I, he's kind of doing a, a like almost like a movie where he's like, "I love this woman," and yeah. um I don't know. He's so I don't know rose colored glasses or something, and she's yeah. so yeah. dour. She's so cold and and. And I kept thinking like, okay, is she what his mother was like? Is she mm. kind of, you know, is is this, you know, is he used to this kind of him being overly enthusiastic and hyperbolic and kind of mimicking what he thinks romantic comedies or whatever are supposed to be? Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. But then it's a little distressing. She she basically is like, okay, let's bone in the bathroom. Um, and then he yeah. says, no, 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 no means please don't please um yes 
And Michael says, you're acting inappropriate. She says, I'm acting inappropriate. You know, so there's this interesting difference between like verbal inappropriate and then physical or sexual. But this did bring me back to his relationship with what's the realtor's name? Um, Carol. Carol, where he had asked Pam about like having sexual encounters in which you are, your boundaries are pushed. And like, yeah, I don't know. It, It was just it's just interesting that here we have another representation of a woman who's not or at least from his point of view not listening to his boundaries yeah yeah I think there are various ways in this episode that we could talk about the feminization of Michael Scott um like in the way that he's the one or the his his association with the ideas that are supposed to be attached to women putting hearts over the eyes very femme. Um, hard to get away with that as a man, even as a woman. It's like one of those things where it's considered like too feminine and too soft and youthful. Um, the fact that he he's the one who really wants to make it official and she doesn't. He wants to cuddle. She yes. does. Yes. Take the scotch. I will get to that. Um, so I think we see a pattern of that in this episode in the way that he's positioned. But this is the bold argument that I want to make. I think Michael is the early face of the Me Too movement. What? <laughs> now, see, I thought you were leading up to Michael Scott is trans, but nope. You threw <laughs> me a curveball. So here it is. Hear me out. Okay. <laughs> if you're you determined to get us canceled. Oh my God. <laughs> this might have taken us closest. Let's find out. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we have lost all our listeners already. But if a large part of the discussion was in the Me Too movement was about people with power wielding it to sexually dominate people who are below them in the hierarchy. And often it was in like the really high profile cases. It was like movie directors and famous actresses or you know, corporate bosses and the people who work for them. And in this case, we have Jan, like they're both higher ups in the company, but we have Jan who is at a higher level than Michael is and who is pushing him sexually. And when he says, for example, stop it, Jan, no, no, no means please don't. Like that even defining of what I've said, no, but what does no mean? And Jan is taking, what's that, what's that saying? Um, Maybe means yes. And no means maybe or something like that. And so it's like, no means no. And Michael here is trying to define what does his no mean? And so, so this, this is my, this is my argument. (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) I know you want to get me canceled, so I think that you should probably challenge me. (laughs) No, I just think, no, I I mean, I think you're really making me recognize a dynamic to the relationship that I hadn't really thought fully about. So because you're underscoring that like this isn't just about gender roles and it's not just about what's professionally appropriate, right? But this is also about power and power relationships. And so, you know, she is 
by wanting to not go to the party and what have what he calls a coming out party, right? In which they would be public and they would be to some degree um accountable, right? Like, or at least on the books or something like that. She wants to maintain this secret um thing. She even says at the end, right, like um we were good when we were just running around in secret it was wrong and it was exciting and mm -hmm. so that wrongness as you're suggesting is like not just the secrecy and the like ew people don't like michael scott you know they would judge me or something like that but it is also about like having sex with your underling right mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um i don't know so anyway i whether or not michael scott you know kicked off the me too movement i certainly agree with you though that like that is a thread here. And like Michael is very, very clearly saying no and trying to define it. And I I don't know that I would go so far as to say that she like gaslights him, but it was definitely um, uncomfortable when she's like, I didn't mean it. Tired. I'm tired and I didn't eat enough. And that's all. That was it. You know, and it's like she's that's not what was going on there. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. One thing I guess I, I want to qualify. I, I don't want to claim that Michael kicked off the Me Too movement. And I <laughs> do want to give credit to Toronto Burke for also coming up with and using that phrase before everybody else did. Um, and her being, I, I'll give- I was just teasing. I'm just teasing. Her. <laughs> but maybe we call Michael a forerunner. <laughs> if ah! you the the forefather. <laughs> the forefather the forefather but it does also show how the gender dynamics of that of power and sex and sexuality at work can like we sometimes in in thinking of it always being or intending to think of it being women who are so consistently the victims of it, we can sometimes not see that it's not only women who are yeah. affected by that. And that it's not only men who are the um, perpetrators of it, I guess. So here, I think we, we actually get this complicated representation of it. And we also see the way it's not that Michael doesn't want to be with Jan. It's not that he right. always and only says no to Jan, but that there really is this this dynamic and this aspect of it that he does not want and wants to be able to say no to and not to say yes to everything. I think what you're saying about the um, gender, you know, kind of representation of sexual harassment and sexual violence and manipulation, all that, I just think that's so important and right on. And, and um, yeah, I mean, and it, it's something that it, it wasn't really, I mean, I remember like after me too, you know, kind of talking with people and telling stories about things that had happened to me at jobs mm -hmm. um, with bosses who were women and things that I was asked to do or, mm -hmm. you know, things that were said to me. And they were like, that was sexual harassment. And I was like, well, no, you know, they were, eh, they were just joking or whatever. But I had a boss at a job when I was under 18 who kept telling me to like take my genitals out <laughs> and yeah and I was like when I told somebody they were like yeah that was really not okay and I was like oh my god it what I was really uncomfortable and scared to go to work and like but didn't want to lose my job but I don't know she was just being funny you know and and yeah. I there had been a discourse that was like oh actually you know people who are identified as boys can also be sexually harassed. That was not yeah. conscious. Yeah. I don't totally. know if it's better now or not. I hope it is, but. So then it's like, it's not, 
both people don't even necessarily think of it within that framework. But then there's also all of the additional shame that gets attached to pushing back against it. In yeah, yeah. So here I'm again, supporting my own argument that Michael is the forerunner here. Um, <laughs> because he resists Jan, he says no very directly to Jan, but he also says it to the camera. Like, he yeah. reports it. He's like, there's something wrong with Jan. Yeah. Which happens in the in an amazing, you know, uh, thing about the potato salad. It's just um, potatoes and mayonnaise. I think there's something wrong with you. So. Yes. He just uh, sneaks it in. But um I wanna I wanna oh, talk yeah. about one more. I don't know if you're going to the other if you want to go to the other um kind of plot elements of this, but can I talk about one more Michael focused section? Yeah, no, I just, uh, what was it that you were saying I wanted to respond to there just about, um, crap, what was it about uh, his firm no and, oh, yeah, um, I, I do think that line about, like, he's, they're in the bathroom, there was no room to cuddle is very yeah. interesting. Like, for her, yeah. it's about sex, and for him, it is about an emotional relationship, and yeah. she she does not want a relationship with him, and he right. does. He says, I want the picket fence and the all of this kind of romantic sentimental tickle imagery fights. tickle fights and the giggle fest and the ketchup or something and oh yeah ketchup yeah. fights what are ketchup fights i i have no idea but i i i it tells us something about mike michael's image of love yeah i wonder where he got that from but i just think that that goes to support your case you know kind of she she gets off on the strange masochistic but also maybe sadistic elements here and yeah 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 he, he wants let's call it like an approximation of normalcy or so like he wants mm -hmm. what represents normalcy even if he's learned it from tv but okay yeah. where do you want to go yeah i, I want to talk about michael scott drinking scotch <laughs> and i have brought a little this is where I really wish we were together and recording together because I have brought a little taste test. Hey. Podcast. So this is one of my, you know, I said there was something for you, which was the magic and there was something for me and it is this scotch scene. And the reason is, I don't know what it is, but I just adore it. So I don't have anything. You really adore scotch? No, no. Oh. I think it's just disgusting. But I love it that Michael cannot handle it will you please read into the record the scotch scene while yes. i set myself up here uh okay let's see um so david says uh this was a gift from lee iacocca 20 year old single malt scotch michael says here's to mr iacocca and his failed experiment the delorean takes sip coughs violently <laughs> jan says you okay yeah do you have any ice? David <laughs> says, sure. How about some Splenda? That, who came up with this? The writing of putting Splenda into scotch is just one of the highlights of the office for me. I do not know why. Leading up to it, I guess I will say about the, Delor the DeLorean reference. The DeLorean was made by the DeLorean Motor Company. Lee Iacocca, though, was known for developing the Ford Mustang and he was also the CEO of Chrysler. So it's it's funny because he's like this car executive, but Michael's misidentifying what car executive he is. But 
what I wanted to do today was do a side-by-side taste test. And I'm going to taste plain old scotch. And then I'm going to taste scotch as Michael orders it with ice and Splenda. No way. Oh, man, I love you. I love that you're doing this. So here we go. All right. This is our plain scotch. Oh, it is sharp. How do I even describe this? Really, it really that was my second drink on my first one. I was like, Oh, I'm pulling this off. But do you ever? I don't know if you ever tried cigarettes <laughs> the first time, you know, if you're like trying to be cool and then you like can't take it in. I did not intend to have this experience, but I am with scotch. It's really, it's like. I, I don't even know. It's very harsh. Very, very harsh. The taste is horrible. Um, Michael is right. But the interesting thing about scotch, it's so associated, it feels like, with masculinity and with wealth. Like, this is a man drink. Mm-hmm. Now, I am going to pour some Splenda. I stopped at Starbucks so that I could get a packet of Splenda today. And here I'm just stirring it in to my scotch with ice. To see how this compares. Okay, let's see. He's fucking right. What? <laughs> oh my gosh, wait, hang on. Okay, this is not what I was expecting as the outcome of this experiment. It is much better. It really softens it. It adds sweetness. It softens it. It takes off the real harshness. Um, I'm going to do one more back and forth. I'm going to try and both again. But do you have any? Do you have any reflections on scotch? I have one question. Did you have Splenda in your house, or did you pick it up for this experiment? I picked up the Splenda from Starbucks for the experiment. I, I did have scotch in the house, which yeah. I don't know where that came from because I don't think Dan even really likes it. But he likes whiskey a lot. But scotch. Oh. Um. Uh, the Splenda, though, the Splenda completely changes it. It is actually brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I am so happy to know this. I'm so jealous. I really wish we were together, uh, so I, I can experiment. But, um, man, but I really do feel like you are desperately trying to get us canceled because not only are you saying Michael Scott's the forerunner of the Me Too movement, now you're also saying like you know Scotch is terrible and we should put put Splenda in it, like everybody's going to be mad at us. Everyone. If I ever own a bar, I am going to have a cocktail that's called the Michael Scott. And it is going to be a scotch. I am going to have it. It's going to be shaken with ice and Splenda and then poured in an up glass, you know, like a martini glass um, that loses, like it gets a little bit more feminized too. I, I was recently reading this article about how glasses are gendered and it talks about people at bars starting to label the menus when there's a glass that's going to be perceived as feminine because there are guys who will order it and then be like oh i didn't know it was going to be this kind of glass so that would be a drink the michael scott that i would put on me on my menu that is a sad state of masculinity uh that is so depressing can you please send me that article though i really want to read it yeah sure Um, but this, I'm actually, I'm actually going to drink this. 
Okay. I, the conclusion, this is... Michael Scott is right, and he doesn't sit and suffer. I feel like the masculine move is typically you sit and suffer and you pretend that you like scotch, even if you don't. But he just asks for exactly the thing that will improve it. He's gauche, and I love that, uh, you know, where he's like, you know, does, can I get you something? He's like bagel bites, you know, this is the bagel bites, bagel of, bites yes. of, uh, of alcohol, I guess. But you are bringing, well, first, I will just say I did, uh, I once somebody had like given us, I don't know, a fancy, I think it might have been scotch, I don't know, or something. And this is another like shame moment or whatever, but I guess you're supposed to sip it, but I thought you were supposed to like down it like a shot. No. <laughs> I guess it was rather expensive. Um, and so I like, you know, downed it and he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I, I, I don't know. That's the only context in which I'd ever drank liquor was like, that's <laughs> a shot. And so yeah. <laughs> the idea that you're supposed to sip straight liquor, which we have some friends who like, you know, lovely people, you know, very butch in their vibe. And like, yeah they only drink straight liquor, you know? Mm -hmm. So be like, oh, do you want a glass of tequila? And I'm like, no, I want lime juice and I want simple syrup in it. I, I need you to, you know, whatever. So anyway, I'm with you. I'm yeah. with Scott. The other thing I that's, was going to say- that's the, that's the person that I want to be. I want to be the person who just drinks straight whiskey. But this, the, the Scotch and Splenda, I think this is going to be my gateway. Why do you, why do you want to be that person? What What's in that for you? I don't know. I don't know. I think I want to hang out with David Wallace, maybe. It's such a, that scene, I mean, Michael kind of really misses an opportunity because yes. they were re removed. They are in this separate room. They're sharing the special scotch. And it's really a moment where if he could just be cool, <laughs> it's, it is this kind of bonding moment with David Wallace and uh if he didn't make this scene over the scotch I think I think he could have gotten somewhere else with it but you know I I love his I love his honesty here well you're bringing up something I I was really interested in which is how gender plays out at the party um so I'm gonna come back to that in a second but I will just say you brought up a word um when you were talking about if you were on a bar you said cocktails mm -hmm. and the episode is called Cocktails, which I found to be yeah. inaccurate and strange. There are no, as far as I can tell, no cocktails in this episode. I think they're drinking beer at Poor Richard's. And Jan, uh, has, Jan orders a martini. Okay. Yeah. And Michael's drink is a cocktail. Uh, you mean the Splenda, you know? Yeah, because doesn't, uh, I don't know if this is the case, but I feel that for it to be a cocktail and not just a drink, it has to involve some mixing. Yeah, agree. agree. Scotch itself. So Michael, does it turn out that the title is really actually drawing attention to Michael's drink of choice? Well, if it is, that is kind of, I mean, it does underscore that like, okay, one, there are a few different parallels between the two, the A plot and the B plot. And we will talk about the B plot with Roy and Pam. But, um, you know, one of the more literal and obvious is, yeah, like they're drinking and they're at, they're at social gatherings in public. Um, and then the, the other, you know, is like, these two kind of fledgling unstable relationships and how they deal with honesty and being public, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. yeah, it's interesting to call the episode cocktails because it draws attention to something that, I don't know, I wouldn't say that that's the center, that mm -hmm. one scene. Um, but 
your point about kind of, you know, why do you want to be the, why do you want to be able to sort of drink the whiskey is like, it's interesting, right? Like just from our different orientations to gender. And for me, kind of the assumption, you know, when Jen and I order drinks and I always get the fruitiest, you know, fucking umbrella drink and Jen gets, you know, whiskey or whatever, or the booziest cocktail. And they always, yeah, I mean, and then they always deliver to me, you know, the boozier one. And it's like, you know, this kind of, I want to escape this assumption that keeps being written onto me that does is not what I does not what feels right to me. Um, but I can also understand, I think for Jen, Jen is like, I want to show that I can drink with the boys as much as, you know, anyone else. Like she yeah. wants to show that she can drink, you know, a bunch of Guinness or something, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And which is what Jan is doing too. Like her being yeah. back there with as the one female executive who's back there and like drinking with the boys. And Michael, it it is fascinating how how gendered these these things are, but he is the one who's incapable of manning up essentially i thought it was really interesting contrast then when wallace takes uh jim out to shoot hoops right and it's like a parallel because this is another retreat from the party space into a quieter zone but it is now a kind of more working class you know whatever but you know shooting hoops in in the driveway is not the same as on the leather couches and the uh scotch um yeah but what struck me about it is Karen is not invited to that, right? Like mm-hmm. Jim and Michael can be invited together. And once you pointed out the manager thing, maybe that excuses why Karen is not invited. Mm-hmm. But putting that aside, it is definitely also gender. And I thought this is a great example of how gender reproduces itself, even mm. without anyone inherently, you know, necessarily intending it right but like my god that's you know, such a great point yes so wallace says to jim oh you like basketball he does you know there are these yeah. dudes, like, you know whatever and then doing that would give them an opportunity to talk and to yeah. and to network and yeah um which is and, an opportunity denied to basically any anyone else but specifically women there that is so smart oh wow yeah i did not think about that and i gotta say i thought it was very charming when David Wallace asks him yeah and I thought it was totally cute I also I like how he's got his his sweater with his tie and his jacket and he takes the jacket off to play basketball but I just thought it was a really cute moment asking Jim but you are so right about the way that that reinforces that system and uh helps promote men through these kind of like softer and less official networks yeah, and I think I think the fact that it is sweet and kind of cute is like a, it's good. It's better to show it that way because I think that that's yeah. probably more often how it is, right? Like it's yeah. not like I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it is. Also, I mean, certainly it is also insidious, <laughs> but um, you know, they seem like nice guys, and so it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, no, you know, I'll, I'll know. I'm I'm Team Wallace for yeah. sure. Well, he is declared it before, and I declare it again. We agree. He's just he's hot, right? Like he's just yeah like, okay. yeah yeah he's he's a total charmer total package david wallace uh shall we talk about jim i mean pam and roy and poor richards um before we go there i don't have much to say about it but just to wrap up this plot um mm-hmm. we have karen teasing jim at the party that she's dated all these people um 
you know, I don't know. I thought it was cute. It's a cute bit. And I liked seeing Jim pranked for once. It's interesting that she pranks him in a mirror of his being with, or, you know, having feelings for um, Pam and the way in which she pranks him is kind of through his male straight male ego. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I, I like the character bit. Like I, when he figures it out, her kind of face and it's, oh, it's too easy is. Yeah. I, I just really find her charming and and actually a great fit for him if he could get yeah. over Pam. And she's a, she's a great prankster. And that's this thing that he liked about Pam. And Karen is really going for it. And I liked her dress. Uh, and then, oh, two other things really short. Um, on the note of, while we're on the note of dresses, yeah. I also loved Jan's. Jan had a black uh, yes. kind of wrap dress and the way her hair was, she hair. gorgeous. Yeah. I thought Jan looked stellar. Yeah. yeah. I was having some gender envy uh, looking at Jan's uh, makeup too. Um, yeah. I think, I think we all wanted to sign a love contract with Jan. <laughs> um, speaking of clothing, I just love the fucking joke about Michael Scott being dressed as the quote unquote. Oh Yeah. Quote. Yes, yes. <laughs> Just great bit. And um, and then Dwight is basically like home inspector here. I, I don't know. I thought it was funny. And it's kind of another commentary on class. But unlike Michael, who's kind of, I don't know, Dwight is like unimpressed in mm-hmm. a way or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I, thought, I thought Dwight might have a really good party strategy. If you're going and you don't really know that many people and you need to have, it, it might help to have a task and an activity for yourself. And so Dude. I feel like inspecting the house is, is a worthwhile endeavor. God, the scene where he's in the kid's bedroom. Oh uh, my gosh. So <laughs> sweet <funny>. kid. <laughs> On the chimney. Just all of it is, is great. But my favorite, this is, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but this is one of my favorite kind of jokes. Mm-hmm. And it's a nice, it's a kind of reversal of the speakerphone joke but um at the end michael and jan are fighting and then dwight leans forward and it's revealed he was in the back seat and oh, like, yeah. Um, yeah don't break up you guys you're great together um and that's after michael says i love you jan and she says okay which is brutal but just brutal. The fact that, like i i fucking love when shows do this or like people have an intense argument or whatever or they're saying something and then it's revealed that the person is somebody else is in the shot yeah yeah is is great so <laughs> i think that's all i've got if you're ready to go to roy pam and poor richards i'm i'm ready to head over there for a, for a cocktail yeah i am and i actually have literally nothing to say about that entire plot what so i don't know what have you got um, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. it's just this brought this brought nothing to me Oh, interesting. I thought this was fascinating. Um, okay. Oh, fine, please. I'll just talk through a few threads and then maybe you can help spin it into something worthwhile. But I really loved Pam's character development here. I felt like this was an excellent payoff of the art gallery scene where Oscar yeah, and yeah. is it Gil? Um, Gil, yeah. Where they, she's overheard them. And it made me wonder to a degree, like, it would it be good, to what extent would be a good thing to hear what people think about you, you know? Yeah. And, and in this case, she identifies with it and is like, okay, yeah, 
I want to be more honest. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I kind of like this development of her character where I guess it was implicit all along that she's very, that she's sort of more passive and won't assert herself. And she's working on that. And I just thought that was such a great like move for her character. It made sense. Mm-hmm. And now that she's reunited with Roy, like I love that she, um, says uh if you're going to be my boyfriend you have to do boyfriend things something like that right yeah Um, yeah and yeah you have to do boyfriend things and i thought that was great and also like a good example like here's he wants to go drink we're going to a bar you can come with us you know and he's falling back to an old pattern and she's trying to change the pattern Mm -hmm. Um, so i just thought that was really great and then her saying i'm gonna be more honest sets up the payoff that she's going to tell him. Yeah. I think it's a little ham fisted the way it comes up is he's like, I can, you can't keep a secret from me Mm -hmm. through this arbitrary game or whatever. I was like, okay, but, but still I like that it was well set up and it made sense that she's wants to have a clear start. And so she's going to tell him about this thing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know I guess that's my thought on the plot part. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought that too. I did like it how it went it went back to that and she's getting what she wants. I liked how she did it with the beer and the guy, the bartender initially gave her the regular yes. beer and she wanted the light and she sort of had that internal moment of debating, do I say something or do I not? And she says something. Do you are you not sympathetic to her? Are you sympathetic? What do you think? Oh, I am. Yeah. Yeah. I thought she was, I thought she was good here. I, uh, I thought she, the, it was, I don't know what kind of amusing when Toby spends the entire night trying to get that stupid duck that she just offhand said was cute. And she's like, Oh, where were you? I wanted to hang out with you tonight. So this was a real miss for Toby. I think Toby was the loser of the episode for sure. I think he was confirming the things that Michael says about him. Oh, it just, it was, it was kind of rough, but Pam just, he's not on her radar that way at all. It seems because she immediately says, Oh, don't you have a daughter? So it was, it was Toby's defeat, but a positive, a positive day for Pam until I guess it turned absolutely horrible. Once she told Roy that she and Jim kissed, and then he starts throwing glasses and destroying the bar. So let's talk about that. I'm going to read it into the record, and I would just love your thoughts on this element. Um, but one of the questions that I that this scene brought up to me was like, is this a window into what their relationship was like? Hmm. Or is this a new oh, escalation? Is this an yeah. escalation of of something or a, or a, a you know? unexpected turn um Mm -hmm. so and 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 in that i sort of mean also you know the kind of move to violence which is very scary um okay so he says what she says i want to i want us to make it i want a fresh start that's awesome that's what i want oh okay but in order for us to make it there can't be any secrets between us i didn't do anything ask anyone i totally could have and i didn't at all just listen Remember that casino night about a month before we were supposed to get married? I kissed Jim. What? He told me how he felt, and I guess I had feelings too, and we kissed. Jim came on to you? Just listen. 
No, I am listening. That's the problem I am listening. Don't yell. Don't yell. This is over. Yeah, you're right. This is so over. You're kidding me, Pam. Come on. God. Throws the glasses. Kenny comes in and joins. It says, damn jet skis. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, 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 is there anything that struck you in there as kind of interesting or notable? Your question, is this new or is this an escalation? I hadn't thought about that, but it, it feels like this is so extreme. It can't just come out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like you don't go from being, I don't think, nowhere close to this to just trashing a bar. And it's not even one glass and then you've gone crazy and you kind of catch yourself. It's like, it just unleashes this big thing. I felt like, I was impressed by Pam there, the way that she completely owns it. And she says, I kissed Jim. She doesn't say Jim kissed me and then I kissed him back. And really that is what happened. You know, it was Jim who was the one who first leaned in, but she just takes full ownership of it, is really straightforward about it. And Roy just, it is the thing when he says, I didn't do anything and I totally could have, that was just the worst. I mean, I guess not the worst compared to where it where it went in the end, but that was just a real douchey statement. I think it's telling that he thinks like he, he it's not within his realm of imagination that Pam has um desire or mm-hmm. or eroticism or or whatever, right? Because like First, he doesn't assume that she's talking about her secrets. He's talking about like, I didn't do anything. As yeah, if he, yeah. What about her? Like, it never occurred to him, you know, that she might have, um, whatever, they were broken up, that she dated mm-hmm. somebody or thought about it or hooked up with somebody or whatever. Um, and then when she's saying, and it's, you're making such an interesting point, right? Like we saw it and we even debated it. Like, it, you know, Jim kind of is the, more assertive one here what is mm-hmm. what are her feelings and how are we to interpret them mm-hmm. but here she re-narrates it and says he told me how he felt i guess i had feelings too we kissed which mm-hmm. is a, a a simplified but maybe telling narration but yeah. he says jim came on to you as yeah. if she is a yeah. passive object mm-hmm. jim's um you know, whatever whims or something, or Jim's, you know, yeah, just, totally. Not, he, he's not registering. She even yeah. says, just listen, but he's not registering. Like, no, I had feelings too. Yeah. Um, and I do find that interesting sometimes when people will say, you know, uh, oh, if my partner cheats, like I'm going to kill the person that they cheat with or whatever. And I'm always like, what did that, what's that person's, why are you blaming them you know what i mean i understand when we're still together at that time and i understand him being angry whatever but yeah it's really interesting how he perceives pam here and then you're right she says this is over so confidently and quickly Mm -hmm. but she also seems very scared to me and it just made me think about about that the quickness of that reaction one would have to maybe have seen this kind of behavior before him and like no i'm not going back here yeah it is it is scary and he ends on i'm gonna kill jim halpert last line of the episode yeah yeah scary scary so leaves us on a cliffhanger um 
anything I, I didn't understand the jet ski thing at all i was like did they cut something out here that would have clarified this did we hear anything about this before what what is this we've heard about them buying the jet skis before oh and um there's a times when pam is referred to taking the jet skis to the lake and uh -huh. so there's some there's some precedent about kenny and jet skis damn okay you are i'm so glad you are an expert because i i was like what um <laughs> Yeah. So is it is it Chili's time? Oh, let me check my I got I gotta check my notes. Okay. Um oh I had Creed fake ID from Sheriff Station. Oh yeah. I I thought that was funny, but I know you hate Creed. So what was your did you laugh? I did kind of. I like how Creed has a small business on the side. <laughs> I like that he said he took it from the sheriff sheriff station or whatever, and I was like, oh my god. Oh, I didn't, I didn't even catch that. Yeah, he but says, I swiped it from the sheriff station. I was like, that is bold. That is bold. But this this felt reasonable. This felt like a reasonable small business for, for Creed to have. It didn't feel too out there or too crazy, like some things do. And so I appreciated this. The coin game, I wrote, uh, I had a dash next to it, which means I had to ask you, have you ever played this? Have you ever heard of this? No, never. Me neither. I thought it actually looked kind of fun, though. It did look kind of fun. And Maybe. then finally, Kevin and Stacy. What was that about? Do we have much on Kevin and Stacy? Not a lot. She came to Chili's, right? Right. Brought her daughter to work. And take your daughter to work day. Um, but yeah, we don't we don't have a whole lot of detail on Stacy. I did think it was funny though, where it's like oh, you set a date and he's like, you know, what's his response? Uh, I need some space on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just haven't even pushed anything yeah, yeah hit a sensitive button with kevin um all right i'm ready to go to chili's if you are i am i am should i should i start us off i would love that because i am adrift adrift okay well you can see you can see what you think of mine i'm gonna give out two dundies tonight the first is the receiving construct sorry let me reread. This is a long title. <laughs> Receiving Criticism Constructively Award. And that goes to Pam Beasley. Oh. I think Oscar and Gil did not say that she lacks honesty and courage in a nice, supportive way at all. But rather than taking it and being defensive, Pam was like, you know what? I'm going to do better. And she did better. So I thought that was impressive. And then finally, uh, my second award of the night is the front lines of the fight against workplace sexual harassment award. And obviously that goes to Michael Scott. <laughs> he deserves an elaboration on that or no, I don't need to elaborate. I think I've, I think I've made my case. Um, well, I have the, um, you know, the, uh, uh, distinguished honor of bestowing a few dundies tonight Ooh, but, a few yeah a few so um the first goes to uh the best um the, let me how to how to say this uh the best um arcade player award mm. and this is a you know a, a small dundee but it goes to toby flenderson <laughs> um because I agree with you, he he he. It was a missed opportunity, but I did think it was very sweet, um, and it was such a 
stupid way to try to get into Pam's, you know, heart, but a, a charming one nonetheless. Um, <laughs> I think the uh, excellent host award goes to, oh God, what was her name? Rachel. Rachel, uh, Rachel Wallace. Uh, gracious beyond gracious um the ways in which she hosts uh uh dwight especially but also michael yeah um, i thought about the her. potato salad yeah she does i thought about her and i'm so glad you gave her award an award because although i don't think toby is deserving i do think rachel wallace is and then i and even though i made the argument that it is like um you know uh problematic in many ways the uh um shooting hoops award goes to david wallace because i just thought it was cute and kind of sweet and uh and i liked i liked him being kind of down to earth in a way even if it was in a yeah. straight bro kind of way um mm -hmm. now i'm not giving another dundee and and but if you know it's tough for me as you know to not give a dundee to dwight every week <laughs> and um and so I'm, this time. I'm not giving him one. However, giving the shirt off his back, pretty impressive. You know, however, uh, sneaking into a child's room, not so great. So uh, I can't give it to him this week, but <laughs> but I see you, Dwight, giving the shirt. I'm sure he appreciates that. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we're coming back next week is going to be what? Season three, episode 19? uh yes episode 19 so 19 the t the numbering has been weird for me anyway episode 19 the negotiation mm -hmm. Ooh, interesting if you've, this one... to, if you've been looking to find a trans reading this is going to be a gift really <laughs> oh yeah Ooh, okay all right all right next next time on the office hours <laughs> All trans reading of <laughs> what you guys are waiting for. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, well, thanks everybody for listening. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye.